0: Uh, my name is Pete Stacey, I'm the evening pastor here, and uh, we've come to the end, the final episode of our journey through the book of Philippians. It's been really good, hasn't it? It's been really good, hasn't it? Though yes. no, seven that time, it's been really good, hasn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. When I said we've come to the end of our journey through Philippians this morning, it was like an audible, oh, <laughs> It's lovely. Um, So, what I thought I'd do just to kick off tonight is actually give us a bit of a quick recap on some of where we've been. So, chapter one. Paul introduced uh, himself and the Philippians as partners in the gospel. And we've seen all the way through the book that partnership play out in different kinds of ways. In the next uh, section, we saw that um, life together through a gospel. lens. We've heard it tonight as Fee shared uh, her, a bit of her story. And we see that through this letter, uh, Paul encouraging them to do as he's done is to live all of life through uh, the lens of the gospel, to see it that way. Then we looked at humility, and we're encouraged to imitate the humility of Jesus Christ. Uh, and then after that, we looked at the fact that our future is secure, not because who we are or, or things that we've done, because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us on the cross. And if just before we move on, press on, I, it was there for you. Oh, sorry, man. It was a nice segue. Um, but... If our future's secure, then we can press on now, in the present, knowing that our future is secure with him forever. Now you can press on. Uh, and Philippians, uh, rejoice in the Lord, that's the, the overall theme, and tonight we're looking at contentment. Now we all had a crack at uh, defining it in eight words or less, um, and we've all given some thought to, to what uh, causes us to lose our contentment. So let me ask you, uh, we know what it is. We know what takes it away. When was the last time you really felt contented? I-, I mean, really satisfied in your heart, happy in your soul, at peace with your place in life at this point in time. Perhaps I-, I just threw that picture in. You know, They look happy. They look contented. It was really just a subliminal advertisement for sunrise at the beach next week. Uh, but nice picture. Uh, <laughs> Perhaps for you it's uh, when you've like finished a major project. For me, I, I love finishing mowing the lawn, and you, s- you step back and go, oh, that looks good." Oh, yeah, satisfaction, uh, contented. Maybe it's when you've had a really happy m- time with family and friends. Uh, perhaps uh, for you, you're very food driven. It's when you've had your favourite meal and dessert. It's like, ah, oh, contentment. But perhaps if you're like me, so often we feel content because of our circumstances. But in this passage, Paul shares his secret, that's what he calls it, to being content all the time. Even when bad things are happening around him and even to him. It really sounds almost too good to be true, doesn't it? So let's ask God to help us understand it and to take hold of it tonight let's pray and then we'll walk through this passage together dear father thank you for the book of philippians and the way we have been blessed by it and encouraged and strengthened and challenged and shaped through it as we've worked through it together as we come to this final section please establish those good things that we've learned as permanent changes in our attitudes our thinking and our behavior And Lord, help us now to focus on uh, your word as as we feed on it. Uh, It really is good food for our hungry souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we look at these final verses, it's uh, helpful to remember Paul's circumstances. Told us way back in the first chapter. Now, he's not rejoicing and content because of you know, great food or, or the great company he's with, or, or perhaps being in a, a luxurious hotel in Rome overlooking the city or something like that. Um, he's actually in prison. He's chained to an imperial guard. And he's probably starving. And yet he says, I've learnt the secret of his contentment. What's the secret? What's the secret? I want to know about it. Let's jump straight into verse 11, halfway through verse 11, where he says, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content, he says again, in every, uh, any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Note firstly that contentment is needed not just in times of abundance or just in times of hardship and struggle. It's needed in both. And Paul says he has it in both. Now, you might be one of those people that's grown up uh, with a very wealthy family uh, where you lack you know, next to nothing and, and usually have more than enough. Um, what sort of things might rob you of the contentment that God wants you to have? Perhaps trusting in our wealth for security instead of trusting in Jesus. Perhaps planning our future, because let's face it, we can pay for it. <laughs> instead of saying, Lord, Lord, you lead me and I will follow. Perhaps just being distracted or worried by all the things we own or where to store them, <laughs> if you're anything like our family. I could go on and on, couldn't I? Um, but, but maybe, maybe you have learned to be thankful to God for his wonderful, generous provision. And maybe you've even learned to be very generous with the things that God has blessed you with. But the question arises, what if it was all taken away from you? Like Job in the Old Testament, what if you lost all the possessions that you value? What if you lost the provision that you currently enjoy? What if you even lost the people you value most? Would your contentment evaporate as well? Perhaps on the other hand... You've had a hard life and just had to scrape by day by day, struggling to make ends meet. What sort of things might rob you of godly contentment in your circumstances? You might be tempted to doubt that God even cares. Somehow he's overlooked you and, uh, and you're just struggling all alone. You might be tempted uh, to compare yourself with those around you. Uh, And that might lead you into the trap of envy or self pity or both. Uh, And in that situation, we could fall into the trap of thinking if only I just had, you know, fill in the blank for you, then I'd be content. But perhaps if that is you, You have learned to trust God, to provide, and have overcome the temptation to covet what others have. And can I say on that, I think it's especially noticeable and different to our world when a Christian is content, visibly content, and at peace, even in times of great hunger or need. It's outstanding. But the question arises, what if you suddenly became wealthy? I mean, what if that uh, lottery ticket that your your distant relative sent you as a kind of token birthday gift was the jackpot and suddenly you have more money than you know what to do with? Would it steal your contentment? Would it destroy your peace? Would you be consumed all of a sudden by worries you've never had before? Would you feel guilty? Especially when you're so familiar with with inequalities when it comes to the distribution of money and wealth paul says he has learned the secret of being content in both circumstances in plenty and in want and great need so what's his secret verse 13 i can do all things oh sorry, i can do all this through him who gives me strength I can do all this. What's he referring to? It's back to verses 11 and 12, being content in times of plenty and, and in times of need. How does he have that contentment? Through him. That's talking about Jesus. Through Jesus who gives me strength. The focus is not on Paul and what Paul can do or has done, but on Jesus and what he has done and what he's continuing to do In the heart of Paul, Paul has learned to focus his eyes and his hope on Jesus. He he draws such strength from his relationship with Jesus, even in a dungeon, such strength from his relationship with Jesus that his circumstances cannot break his hope. He has such security. In his relationship with Jesus and the future that lays ahead of him with Jesus, that his circumstances cannot shake his confidence. His contentment does not come from, and it isn't hindered by his circumstances. But it's not completely divorced by his, from his circumstances either. Some of the uh, popular philosophers of Paul's day uh, said that contentment could only be found by removing yourself from the temptations of the world uh, through a kind of self-imposed poverty um, and withdrawal from society. Those ideas are still around today. Uh, you know, ignore reality, whether it's good or bad, because then you can't be kind of hurt, um, and you'll find nirvana. Uh, you'll have peace. You'll be content. That's not Paul at all. His relationship with Jesus brings such clear purpose and significance to him in whatever c- c- circumstances he's in. And he sees those circumstances, whatever they are, through the lens of his relationship with Jesus, through the lens of the gospel. So at this point in his life, he is content because he can see how his circumstances are actually progressing the cause of Christ. Back in chapter 1, we read these words. What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, this is a perspective moment here, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. What a stunning, astonishing attitude. And he he has contentment as a result. For Paul, in his own words, to live is Christ and to die is gain. His contentment in life and in death comes from his relationship with Jesus. I uh, was reflecting just this morning. This is not in the notes, Kev, if you're following up the back on the PowerPoint. Thanks for doing it. Uh, but just this morning, as I was reading uh, some more, and um, one writer was talking about, you know, if there was a moment where Paul expressed any discontent in Philippians, in the book of Philippians, as back in chapter 3, where he's saying, um, forgetting what was behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal. He knows he's not there yet. I wouldn't actually call it discontent, but he's, he wants to keep becoming more like Jesus. And he knows it's going to be a reality when he's with Jesus, but he's kind of like this straining towards that. Uh, um, it's it, fascinating, isn't it? Couldn't maybe not quite call it discontent, but disconnect with his, his spiritual st- uh, standing, where, he, where he's at, where, compared to where he wants to be. But materially physically, completely content. Because you can see how God's using his circumstances to advance the gospel. Are you like that? Am I like that? I find personally, I tend to worry so much more about my physical health and well-being than about my spiritual state. Knowing who God is and that he loves us and that he has saved us through Christ and yet has a plan and a purpose for our lives, and that he is with us by his spirit to strengthen us. It brings us such comfort and hope and contentment and joy. Now, before we leave verse 13 altogether, um, I do want to address a little issue. Someone once said, if you take a text out of context... All you're left with is a con. (laughs) Uh, And it's kind of true of verse 13. I have to say, it's been misused, this verse, in all kinds of ways. Um, If you look at the word, as you've got in your Bibles there, the word this isn't in the original Greek text of verse 13. The NIV has added it in to kind of clarify and fix a bit of a problem. So perhaps you've um, learned this verse as a kid, and you would have uh, learned what I misquoted before. Um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, It just says, I can do all through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, But older versions added the word things. All things? I mean, really? Really? You know, I want to fly like Superman. I want to fly like Batman. I'm such a boy. Uh, uh, You know, um, I want to walk on water like... I love surfing, but imagine surfing with no board. That would be cool. That would be awesome. But, you know, hopefully most of us realise that's not what this verse is saying. But I think there's a more subtle trap. That we get sucked into. You see, this verse is often combined with popular lies like, you can be whatever you want to be. If you can dream it, you can do it. And and similar quotes. Um, And the implication is that God will help you get there. It sounds enticing. But recognize the attitude behind this really unhelpful connection. We're creating a God to do our will. Friends, the exact opposite is true. God created us to do his will. God does not promise to give us the power to achieve our dreams, our goals, our will. He promises to give us the power to achieve his will. He promises to give us the power to be content and to persevere in godliness no matter what the circumstances uh, may be that we experience. He gives the, the power and the strength to say no to ungodliness and yes to becoming more like Jesus day by day. Over in the book of 1 Timothy, Paul's addressing the problem of wealth and how that you know, really robs people of contentment. has a bit of a play on the word gain. You know, we think of building wealth, gaining, gaining. And he says this in verse 6 of chapter 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. <laughs> For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Now, either side of this section on contentment, verses 11 through to 13, Paul is thanking the Philippians for their generous gift to him. Look back at verse 10 with me. Uh, He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Uh, At last? Sounds a bit harsh, doesn't it? (laughs) Uh, So he's concerned perhaps that um, it might sound critical. So he immediately affirms them. Indeed, you were concerned... But you had no opportunity to show it. Now, we don't know why they had no opportunity. Perhaps it was the physical distance from Philippi to Rome's a long way. Um, perhaps it was winter and travel was just a lot harder. Um, but whatever the reason, they were prevented from providing immediate help to Paul. But then in case uh, they might feel that his thanks is loaded with a request for a bit more, please, he quickly adds, I'm not saying this because I am in need. That's really good, isn't it? Look at those three bits. He he thanks them, genuine thanks. He affirms them for what they have done. And he makes it clear that there is no ulterior motive going on. He just wants to encourage them. I think we could all learn to do that better. I certainly can. I think that's fantastic. And then uh, he reveals the secret of his true contentment in verses 11 to 13, which we've looked at, and then verses 14 to 18, he repeats the same pattern of thanks. Uh, So he reaffirms, reaffirms his thanks in verse 14 and then reinforces his encouragement and again makes it clear that he's not subtly asking for more. On the contrary, he actually wants God... To give them more. See verse 17. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. He wants God to bless them richly because they have been such a blessing to him. Uh, and since they gave generously, and if you look over in 1 Corinthians 8, they were quite a poor church. And it says that, Paul says a few times there, they gave out of their poverty. One point he says, they gave out of their extreme poverty to help him in his ministry. And Paul says, points out that they've given generously and cheerfully with no sense of obligation. And so Paul refers to their gifts as a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. What a beautiful description of what they have given. Now this is picking up the Old Testament language of sacrifice. Not a sacrifice to pay for sin, um, but a thank offering that is very pleasing to God. What a delightful encouragement to us, uh, like it is to the church in Philippi, that as we give our time, as we give the various talents that God has equipped us with to bless others, as we give our money in all kinds of ways to support the gospel, that such gifts are a thank-offering that brings a smile to God's face. What a beautiful thought. And Before I wrap up, I think there's a really important principle uh, that's quite easily overlooked in these verses. Two themes dominate the letter of Philippians, joy and partnership. And we kind of scanned through them before. And they come together here in these verses. In chapter 1, we saw that partnership is a relationship of mutual support and blessing for a gospel purpose. Now, God often uses believers, as he's used the church in Philippi, to provide the needs of other believers Now, this may be in the form of financial help, might be uh, in the form of practical support. Certainly, I hope for all of us, we're involved in supporting one another in prayer for the best thing we can do. Uh, And here in this passage, we see Paul's needs being met by the generosity of the Philippian church. But at the same time, we've seen that God used Paul to actually bring the good news about Jesus to Philippi in the first place, some 30 years earlier. Not only that, but right now, through this letter, God is bringing encouragement through Paul, reminding the Philippian church that God will meet their needs as they continue to follow him. Giving and receiving, both wonderful blessings in the Christian life. Remember what Jesus said? He said, it's actually more blessed to give than to receive. So how can we be effective partners like the church and Philippi and Paul had this special partnership uh, in Christ? How can we have a really effective partnership uh, through thoughtful and generous giving of, of all that God has given to us? I think there's lots and lots of ways, stacks of ways, but I want to highlight just two. Firstly, our mission partners, our mission partners. this is, a, this is a quite a unique year, where we're going to see them. A little bit, only a few months. Um, so here's my encouragement and challenge. Say so again. One month, the end of this month. Yeah, like it's really close. I'm stoked because I, I haven't had a really good catch up with any of them. Like certainly face to face for yeah three or, three odd years. So it's going to be really exciting. Um, so how can we be uh, partner in partnership with them while they're with us? Now, they're coming over from their lives on the mission field. They're going to need things, practical things, practical help. Um, We can be involved in all kinds of ways. Um, We're probably going to get uh, people organized to do all sorts of things while they're here. How can we be involved in that so that as a church, when they visit us, Knowing that we're, you know, one of a few churches that support them when they're overseas, when they're with us, they can visibly see we've invested time and energy in loving and supporting them while they're with us, not just when they're gone. So um, I haven't got specific details there. I just want to throw that out there because it's really on our doorstep, that opportunity to partner in a very special way. Secondly, uh, I I want to... Encourage and challenge us to think about how we can partner with each other in 6pm specifically in our life together by the numerous rostered jobs. That's the current roster. Can you see that big area of blank? <laughs> um, uh, can I just say, it is really exciting. Since we began this uh, service about 16 months ago, we've, uh, we've grown a lot. We've grown a lot. In fact... Uh, yeah, a lot. Well, what's happened, though, is that uh, when we started out, lots of enthusiasm, and we had about 65%, nearly 70% of people who were coming were also serving on that roster in some way. Um, almost all of them are still serving on that roster in some way, but we've nearly doubled in our numbers. Uh, and so my encouragement is prayerfully, And I really mean that. Prayerfully consider how you might be able to become part of the life of our 6 p.m. community by serving in a simple way, just in a rostered job. The beauty of uh, having more people involved is that it means we don't have to be serving on the same thing quite so often. Don't want to burn people out. There's food for thought. In the final verses, let me wrap up. In these final verses, so if we just gloss over them, oh yeah, Paul's just wrapping up his letter, you know, uh, gloss over it. But Paul adds various personal greetings. He often does that. Um, but as he does, he closes by saying, glory be to God, verse 20. And it's kind of like the, the false ending, like, you know, a good 80s rock and roll track. And, and then we get to the final ending, down in verse 23, where he says, grace be with you. Glory to God. Grace be with you. And I think that's such a fitting way to finish this letter. Paul's whole approach to life, and he's urged the Philippians and us to imitate it, is live for the glory of God through Christ. But how do we actually live for the glory of God? It's only because of the grace of God at work in us, in saving us, and in his ongoing work in our our hearts by his Spirit, to carry to the to carry on to completion the good work that is begun amen